Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. When the U.S. government began separating immigrant families arriving at the border this spring, following an announcement in April by Attorney General Jeff Sessions, we all started to watch a crisis unfold. Little kids, eight, five, two years old, being separated from their parents, many without any idea of what was going on or why they couldn't be hugged by the people they loved. There's been a lot of talk about what this does to kids, not just the day they're separated or the day after, but potentially for a lifetime, even if they're reunited with their parents. As I've heard these discussions, I keep thinking back to an interview I did last year with a doctor named Vincent Felitti. Felitti has taught at the University of California, San Diego, and founded the Department of Preventive Medicine at Kaiser Permanente. And in the 1980s, he made an unexpected breakthrough. He started surveying thousands of people to understand something called adverse childhood experiences, experiences like physical neglect and emotional neglect. There were 10 categories in all, including not just neglect, but abuse, parents being incarcerated, growing up without both of your biological parents, growing up with a parent who's depressed or mentally ill, and having a parent abuse drugs or alcohol. What Felitti found shocked him. On average, people who had one or more adverse childhood experiences grew up to be a lot sicker than people who hadn't. Some of that sickness manifested in a way you might expect. Depression, anxiety, suicidal tendencies, higher drug and alcohol use. But it went way beyond that. Here are some of the other problems they saw more of. Heart disease, lung disease, liver disease, diabetes, fractures, cancer, a number of autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, uh, scleroderma, etc., and a major effect on premature death. We found that a person who had experienced any of those six categories uh, in their childhood or adolescence had a uh, shortening of life expectancy of 19.7 years, basically 20-year life shortening. Felitti became a pioneer in the study of trauma on kids and understanding how and for how long those events really play out. Not all of the symptoms of uh, toxic stress are behavioral. Nadine Burke-Harris is a physician who, like Dr. Felitti, has been at the forefront of thinking about those effects in patients and what we can do about them. Some folks have a greater risk of behavioral problems. Some folks have a greater risk of cardiovascular problems. Some folks develop autoimmune disease. And right now, when we look at the long-term effects of toxic stress, I think as a society, we only recognize mental health behavioral um, consequences as opposed to recognizing the full scope of the effects of toxic stress. Dr. Harris is the founder and CEO of the Center for Youth Wellness in San Francisco and the author of the book, The Deepest Well, Healing the Long-Term Effects of Childhood Adversity. She says that we now have the tools to understand what stress really does to us when we're young. It's only been really in the last 20 years that we are able to see, for example, through MRI studies, the changes in the brains of children who are exposed to high doses of adversity right? And the difference that it makes when they have nurturing caregiving. Burke Harris tells the story, the true story, of a 40-something computer programmer who had a stroke, and the hospital just could not figure out why. There seemed to be no risk factors. He was very healthy. He had lots of resources. But there were risk factors, adverse childhood experiences, which can more than double your chance of a stroke. 
So if you think about what's been happening at the border with kids being separated from parents, even if the kids are fed and clothed and bathed adequately, Nadine Burke-Harris says neglect could be a serious problem. Even for kids who are in neonatology wards, right, Uh, uh, premature babies who are in neonatology wards, who are getting all the care of being in a hospital, uh, studies have shown that uh, for a long time we didn't understand the importance of nurturing touch. And when researchers um, went in and, uh, and investigated the importance of nurturing touch on kids who were in neonatology wards, they found out that those kids who were receiving that nurturing touch grew 50% faster and were, uh, wow. had better neurological uh, development. And that's a big part of the reason why we've um, changed the practice of medicine to include making sure that kids who are in, you know, neonatal ICUs in, the, in these incubators are regularly receiving um, mm. nurturing touch. The idea that you can simply feed and clothe a child, right, but with, without giving them that nurture and caregiving, um, and that's adequate, is frankly false. And that's been demonstrated through studies. Mm. And can trauma exist? Does it have to be ongoing? Or like if you were separated from your parents for a week or two, can that have lasting effects? What we now understand is that the cumulative dose of adversity, right, uh, is what ultimately has the greatest impact on health. And this is why this particular policy has been so disturbing, because clearly the children who are arriving at the border with their families have already likely experienced significant adversity. Many of the families are leaving situations that have been uh, dangerous or scary, and and the journey itself is incredibly harrowing. So Mm -hmm. at the time that the children arrive on our border, they are at an incredible place of vulnerability. They have a high cumulative dose of adversity. And when we take kids who are high, at high risk and then remove the ability of their buffering caregiver to help to regulate their stress response, that ultimately is what can directly lead to the toxic stress biology, which then puts these children's health and neurologic development at risk. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Nadine Burke-Harris, the founder and CEO of the Center for Youth Wellness in San Francisco. She's also the author of the new book, The Deepest Well, Healing the Long-Term Effects of Childhood Adversity. Let's go back uh, for a minute and talk to me a little bit about, like, how did you move from doing sort of the normal pediatrician stuff to thinking about these kinds of um lifelong impacts. I mean, like moving away from, you know, vaccines and the stuff that normally the check-in kind of stuff you normally do with your pediatrician when you go visit the office to the kinds of stuff you think about now. Like what was the trigger for that? Well, you know, I was doing my regular pediatric practice when I finished my training at Stanford. I came to work in a very vulnerable community in San Francisco called Bayview Hunters Point. And I was seeing a lot of families uh, where there were high doses of adversity present. 
many of the things that we um, heard Dr. Felitti talked about in the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, things like mm-hmm. abuse or neglect or growing up in a household where a parent was mentally ill or substance dependent. And so what I was seeing in my patient population was that my patients who were, um, who, who were coming in with the, the most serious health problems, most often they were being referred actually by schools for ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, okay. But it wasn't just behavior. It was also health. So for example, you know, I'll never forget the day that I was in practice working with a 10-year-old girl who had terrible asthma. And I had been giving her really strong medications to try and keep her out of the hospital. And as I sat down with her mom to talk about her asthma triggers, right? You know, could it be pet dander? Could it be pollen? Could it be cleaning products? And I asked, you know, what is it we could be missing? This, uh, This mom said to me, you know, doctora, I noticed that my daughter's asthma tends to act up every time her dad punches a hole in the wall. And for me, that was really observing that trend that my patients with the worst, not only behavioral, but also health and biomedical uh, problems were the ones who were exposed to the highest doses of adversity really got me looking into the science of how does childhood adversity affect the developing brains and bodies of children. So let's come back um, to... Uh, in some ways, what what really brought us here, which is the uh, policy of separating kids from families, which at the at the southern border, which is not happening anymore. But now we've got thousands of kids who have been separated. If you could take charge at this point, like what is the sort of best possible thing to do if you've got a bunch of kids who are understandably scared and um yeah, I guess there's two populations. You've got kids who are, are going to be reunited or have been, and then kids who are going to be apart from their parents for a long time. Let's take the kids first who have been or are going to be reunited but were very traumatized by what happened. So um, there are a couple of different um, pieces that can happen here. For the kids who are going to be reunited with their parents, I think one of the things that's absolutely critically important is that both the child and the caregiver get intense support because we recognize that being separated from your uh, parent is a stressor. But Mm -hmm. as most people can imagine, being separated from your child is also a stressor. So Mm -hmm. when these children are being returned to their parents, they're also being returned to traumatized parents, Mm -hmm. right? And unless those parents... Are uh, get support in being able to regulate their own stress response, it will be more difficult for them to be that mm-hmm. adequate buffer for their children. Uh, at the Center for Youth Wellness, we work very hard to uh, equip parents with the tools to be able to be that buffer and to be able to manage their own stress responses. But honestly, that treatment, that intervention costs about $10,000 per child per year. And it sometimes requires multiple years of interventions just to be able to regulate and stabilize these families. So we're looking at significant investments, even when the child is reunited with their parents. For the kids who are 
not reunited with their parents, then they're at significantly higher risk, right? And what we absolutely need is to make sure that they are getting the nurturing care that they need, whether it's through uh, some type of um, supportive fostering situation with a, a nurturing and supportive caregiver, but typically they're going to require multidisciplinary care, intensive care, and that will uh, be required for uh, a pretty long period of time. So if we pull back a little bit here from the kids and the parents who are clearly at the heart of this, for people who are just seeing hard things on the news, um, and you've been a doctor for a long time, you've seen people coping with tough situations, I wonder what your thoughts are on um, dealing with what's happening. I mean, I know I scroll through Twitter a lot. I see people who say they've been crying. It's hard for them to sleep. Um, I've seen politicians tweeting that it was hard for them to sleep. How can people um, deal with what they're seeing on the news? I would say recognize for folks who feel like they're really affected, I really strongly recommend that folks reach out uh, for uh, mental health consultation or treatment, even if it's a a brief intervention. I do think... um, so that you know, the evidence shows that things like um, regular exercise, getting you know at least eight hours a night of sleep, and having good sleep hygiene. So one of the things I recommend is don't read this stuff before you go to bed at night, right? Because mm-hmm. that's going to activate your stress hormones, and it's going to uh, inhibit and interrupt the sleep process, right? So you know, turn, <laughs> turn off that, that uh, you know, iPhone or the news or whatever it is mm-hmm. for that hour before you go to bed um, so that you don't, you're not dealing with an overactive stress response or, or an activated stress response right before you go to bed. Um, that, that, that regular exercise is really, really important to metabolize the stress hormones that are generated. And I think for a lot of people, just pay attention. Notice if you maybe feel a little better after that yoga class or after that run or that swim, right? Because um, these things really do make a difference. Nadine Burke-Harris is the founder and CEO of the Center for Youth Wellness in San Francisco. She's the author of the new book, The Deepest Well, Healing the Long-Term Effects of Childhood Adversity. Nadine, thank you so much. Thank you for covering this. It's been my pleasure. beginning of this story, I mentioned Vincent Felitti, the doctor behind the Adverse Childhood Experiences study. We've got more about him and the pioneering work he did on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash innovation hub radio.